If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about marketing, talking to a publisher about what it looks like to market your game to a publisher, and then also what it looks like as a publisher to market your game out into the world so you get many, many, many Kickstarter backers or pre-order customers or whatever it is that you're going for. And we're talking to Debbie Moynihan, the COO at White Wizard Games. Debbie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Gabe. Yeah, really excited to have you here. I saw a talk that you did a while back. I think you were talking at Tabletop Network and you did just a a really amazing uh, speech or or talk about marketing, about different ideas and different things that work and things to be thinking about and all that. And so I was like, man, I really need to get Debbie on the show and talk through these things so that the BGDL listeners can can get that information and, and run with it. And so really excited to have you here. And White Wizard Games has been doing amazing work over the last few years. Just a lot of really awesome games you've put into the market, some phenomenally successful Kickstarter campaigns. And so I really, I'm really excited to pick your brain about how to do that. How do you do that as a publisher, but then also as a designer, what, what should I be looking for? What should I be thinking about if I'm going to approach a publisher like White Wizard? And you know, how do I sell myself and also sell my game and all that good stuff? But before we get into all those cool things, who are you? How'd you get into working for White Wizard, into the gaming industry in general, all that kind of thing? All right. Well, that is a story in and of itself, but I'll, I'll try to keep it a little bit short. So my background is in high tech. I went to MIT. I was an engineer and I was very interested in business. I was always asking like, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And people said, hey, Debbie, you should go to business school. So I went to business school and out of business school, I went into high tech. I loved high tech. I was a product manager. I loved being a product manager. That's kind of like being the CEO of a product line. And I then became manager of a team. I became an executive. I was traveling around the world. I loved my job in many ways, but it wasn't fun necessarily. It was like really, really hardcore. I was working both for publicly traded companies and then later for high growth venture backed startup companies. So anyone who's worked with that style of company knows it's extremely hardcore. Um, my last, my last job, you needed to be in the office at like before white wizard games at seven in the morning. And if you were leaving by like, you know, before five thirty six, you were the slacker. So it was, that was the minimum minimum that people were in the office. It was really, really hardcore. So at that time I was a single parent and 
I always liked games and I've always been a nerd, but I wouldn't say at that time I was like what I would consider a board game nerd, which now I hang out with like a lot of board game nerds, not yet. Um, and I was a single parent and I was looking to date. I went on to OkCupid, which at the time was, I don't know if even know if it's still around, but it was a popular dating site. And I really liked nerdy guys. So I was looking for a nerdy guy and there was a profile that stuck out to me. Um, he said he liked Euro games in his interests. And I thought to myself that I don't know what a Euro game is. This was about eight years ago, by the way. Um, but that sounds really nerdy. It sounds like my kind of guy. And I sent him a message. That was Rob who... We dated, we're now married, and we run White Wizard Games together, Rob Doherty. And um, so we got to chatting. And as it turns out, he was a hardcore magic player. He mentioned Euro games. He thought if he mentioned Magic the Gathering, that might scare some people off. Um, but but that wouldn't scare me off because I was actually, I was playing magic with my son back then. I was going to Friday Night Magic with my son at the time. So I loved that Rob was really into gaming. Um, but I didn't really know much about what he did. At the time, he was he was working at Stoneblade. He had co-designed Ascension. And I didn't know much about what he was doing. And I was so I was working my job doing, you know, high tech marketing executive running marketing for a company. And he was doing his job. And then, you know, we would date and hang out. And it was super fun. And at one point, he was going to Origins, which is in Columbus, Ohio. And I, I said, oh, well, my best friend lives in Columbus, Ohio. I, I've always wanted to go to Columbus, Ohio. So I decided I would go. And the plan was he was going to work at this convention. I didn't know anything about it. And I was going to hang out with my best friend from MIT. And we were going to like shop and hang out. And I honestly, I wasn't even planning to go to Origins. I never heard of Origins. I never even heard of people going to a board game convention at the time. And when we got there, he said, um, you know, I'm a little shorthanded. Would you would you be able to help me at the convention? We didn't some of the people canceled and I, I need some help. And and I said, you know, I, I haven't even played your game. Like, I don't I don't know how to play your game. It was Ascension at the time. And and he's like, it's he's like, it'll be really easy. You'll learn it really quick. It'll be really easy. So I make a long story short. I worked the entire convention demo dissension for the entire weekend. And that was sort of my immersion into the board game industry. And after that weekend, I was really, really jealous of Rob in that, wow, like this job is like super fun. I didn't get paid any money. I was just helping my boyfriend out. It was like so fun just playing games with people after people and seeing how they get really excited when they, you know, go through a couple turns and ascension. And I was like, why is his job so fun? And my job is like, not fun. Um, you know, my job is very challenging, but not fun and not, I didn't get to see that sort of like awesome happiness in people's faces as they used my product. I was selling to software developers, software developer tools at the time. So, so anyways, we, so after that, I got more interested in his business. And at the time he and his best friend, uh, Darwin Castle, started working on this game Star Realms on the side, you know, while he was working at Stoneblade. And, you know, the team at Stoneblade knew about Star Realms as well. Um, and they decided they would start a company. So again, I was working my full-time job, but that's when I started to get involved with White Wizard Games. I helped them out with the original marketing plan we worked on things like what's the value proposition of the game? How are we going to differentiate? What's, you know, the messaging going to be for the game? So I, I worked with them you know, just part-time to help them out with that. And it was, again, super fun. 
And then, of course, you know, the, the game was a huge, massive hit. It won tons of awards. It did awesome. And it still took several years after that with me helping the company part-time. Eventually I joined as a part-time consultant while I did part-time in high tech, but still took quite a few years before I was able to leave my job and come and work at White Wizard Games full-time. So I wanted to, I, like I said, I, I thought working in the game industry seemed super fun. And when I started doing marketing for them part-time, it quickly became clear that, oh, they could really use me full-time. So it was just a matter of growing the company enough so they could hire on additional employees. So uh, it was you know, a good challenge to do that. And, you know, we were able to do that. And I've been with the company now for a couple of years and it's, it's been so fun, so interesting. And like our community is amazing. Again, it's just like so fun to see people playing our games and getting super excited. And, and I really, really miss the conventions. Origins is still my favorite convention. And uh, I still miss that you know, with COVID and everything, not being able to be there in person and see people's faces light up. I mean, I still do demos. I'm generally like not on the demo schedule, but I still pop in and I'm doing demos and I really enjoy it um, playing with people on the show floor and just seeing how much they love games, especially if they haven't played a deck building game before, or haven't played one of our games before. It's really fun. So that's how I got into it. Sorry, that was probably a long, a much longer story than you expected. <laughs> no, that was great. That's such a really cool story. And I love hearing people's journey, you know, about their journey into the industry, especially into publishing and starting their own companies or whatever it is. So that's, that's such a cool, you know, and talk about lucking out. I mean, Rob just outkicked his coverage there is a good old fashioned football way of saying it. But, you know, talk about lucking out on OK Cupid and hitting a jackpot. <laughs> I mean, that just turned out really, really well for, for everybody. Uh, especially White Wizard Games, it seems. And so yeah. that's so, so cool. But as we jump into the the topic, let's let's get a good working definition about marketing. And I love that you have worked in marketing for a long time. So I'm really interested, like, what do you think it is? Like, what is a good just definition in general, especially when it comes to board games, of marketing? So I consider marketing everything that you do, you know, as a company and as an individual to support the selling of your product, it's a lot of things. So um, my, like I mentioned earlier, like I'm pretty analytical and I like to go deep on things. So I use a framework when I think about things like marketing. So, you know, there's, if you think about like the original marketing framework, I think it came out in the 1960s, the four P's of marketing. That's sort of, you know, your product, your price, your, you know, where you're positioning in the market. There's, so I like to look at a framework and then use that framework to build out my strategy when I'm working on a marketing plan. So, you know, I recommend people look at marketing frameworks. There's a lot of books out there that, just talk about one thing like storytelling or branding or making your thing sticky. And that's great. But if you want to make sure you're sort of hitting all the key aspects that go into supporting your product and selling your product using a framework, I, I think is super helpful. You can look up the four P's of marketing or I, I can give a quick overview too, or the seven P's of marketing is sort of the expanded version of that. Um, and then from that, I would like in any company sort of come up with my own framework depending on the business of the company so you know so while they might talk about like um places you know distribution channels and things like that is a very traditional way of looking at marketing places where are you selling your where are you going to sell your game where are you going to market your game i i think community is huge in board games so i'd say like the big thing that doesn't really fit within the traditional 
marketing definitions would be community building for me. Like I think community building is massive and huge and, um, and content marketing. So content marketing is really, really critical and important. And, 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 and there's a lot of books out there on content marketing as well. Um, but those content marketing community don't really fall well into sort of the traditional definition of marketing. Gotcha. Okay. I'm really excited to explore a lot of these things. I want to come back to the 7P uh, sure. framework in just a second. But first, let's talk about why this is important. I feel like there's a lot of people out there that love board games. They love designing games. They love everything that goes into the creative side, but they really struggle when it comes to the business side, especially the marketing side, and maybe just don't put enough effort or money or time uh, toward marketing. And so tell me about why marketing is so important, why it's so vital, especially in such a noisy you know, marketplace. It's really important because, I mean, there's been examples. You can have an awesome product and it's not necessarily going to sell the best. And you can also have a product which isn't that great, and but people are really good at marketing and it sells really well. So it's important if you have something of value to offer to people that they hear about it. And if they're not hearing about it, they can't you know give you their money to purchase the product. So it's about figuring out what is that message, that key value prop, who is the right person to hear it? And then how are you going to reach that person? That's sort of like in a nutshell, like the basics of marketing, in my opinion. Okay, definitely. And so let's uh, let's separate this conversation really into two categories, into two parts, I guess. And from one side, I want to talk to you about as a designer, if I'm going to approach a publisher, you know, to license my game, to partner with them, what does that look like? What is, how do I market myself? How do I market my game? All the things that go into that. And then after that, let's talk about it as a publisher, you know, how do you market a game? You know, you're going to launch on Kickstarter or you're going to put out into retail or something like that. And so to start off, let's talk about marketing myself. All right. So pretend for a second, I am a brand new designer getting into the industry. I want to market a game to a company like White Wizard. How do I do that? What should I be thinking about? What are some like little nuances of approaching a publisher? How do I market myself? And then let's talk about how to market my actual game design. Sure. Well, I think, first of all, you would want to figure out who are you and what are your strengths as a person or as a team, if you're a team of people, and figure out what the best product is for you to make and what's unique about your product. And then select which publishers are a good fit for that product. Um, so, I mean, you, you could take it the other way, but, you know, if you're, if you want to, you know, create a game for White Wizard Games and you come talk to us and you're like really, you know, creating, you know, really super heavy game, for example, that's not going to be a good fit for us. So I think depending on your skill and background, think about that. That's, that's the P and the four P's, like the people, like who's your team, what's your culture, what are your strengths? And based on that, then figure out what kind of product you can create and what's unique about your product in terms of like what's unique about your product. So something that I've done a lot of in my life is unique value proposition creation, which is a very simple exercise. You say, you know, my product. So my board game is the only one has to be the only one. That's what makes it unique. It's not unique if you're one of the top three or one of five games that do this. My game is the only game that does blank, fill in the blank. My game is the only game that, you know, has art from this artist and has this unique mechanic. My game is the only one. So when we came out with Star Realms, for example, I'll go back to my original marketing plan. 
you know, Star Realms was the only deck building game that, you know, offered tons of replayability for less than $20 in a small box. You know, it was portable, it was affordable, it was the only one when it came out. Now there are other ones. So, you know, if we were to, if you were to come out with a deck building game today, you'd have to have some different differentiation that wouldn't work because you wouldn't be the only one. But at the time that was unique, it was really different. It took off because there wasn't any other small games that had that same level of, you know, awesome card game play in a small box for a small price. So thinking about what makes your game unique and being able to communicate it in exactly that way. And you can think about the unique value proposition also about yourself. So as a game designer, what makes you unique? So a lot of people don't really talk about themselves when they pitch themselves to publishers. They talk a lot about their game, but they don't talk a lot about themselves. And the thing is like, this is really a negotiation tactic. So when you're trying to do a business transaction with someone, people want to do business with someone that they like. So they need to get to know you. Who are you as a person? So one is, you know, trying to build rapport and connection with people. So a lot of people, for example, will help out at booths at conventions. Then they get to know people. They get to know more about them. They have that personal relationship with a publisher. They also might ask other people about a publisher, get to know this is, you know, basic sort of selling, relationship building, who is the person that you're trying to make that connection with. You shouldn't be trying to email every publisher on the Cardboard Edison list, which I think maybe some people do, but you want to target, pick, you know, a handful, small number of publishers and really focus on getting to know them and how would your game be a good fit. So maybe your game's like unique in a way for a specific publisher. So for example, like, you know, I I remember someone pitched a game to me and I thought it was really fascinating and we didn't end up going with the game, but they said, oh, this game could be positioned as a game that people in the Heroes world play with each other. So they took like, okay, this was a really cool abstract game, but they took it a step further and gave us ideas on how we could position that within our portfolio. I know some people will tell you, don't try to position your game. Don't tell a publisher how to market their stuff. I I, I don't agree with that. I, I think it's always a suggestion. It's never a, hey, you should do this. But I think having creative ideas on how your game could fit within their portfolio shows that you've researched that publisher. Like I've talked to people and they haven't played any of our games, but they're pitching games to us. And, you know, how do you even know like who our customers are and kind of what they expect in a game from us if you haven't played any of our games? I'm not saying you have to play, you know, the games from the publishers that you're pitching to, but I I personally think it would be useful. And I think that, um, you know, again, it, it kind of gives you an understanding of what does their customer expect from a game from them. So that's what we think about when we look at a game like, okay, well, we know what our customers expect from us. So a lot of times we see game pictures and we're like, this is a really good game, but it's not like a white wizard games game. This game should be made, but it does, isn't a fit for our portfolio. It isn't something, if we came out with this It wouldn't meet our customers' expectations of what a game from us is. And and that may change over time. Like we are, as we grow, looking at, you know, expanding our portfolio and the types of games we publish. And, you know, we've seen other publishers do that where maybe they come out with a new imprint and things like that. But, But I think that that is important. Like when a publisher looks at your game, it isn't just, is this a good game? It's how would this game fit with that portfolio? So you have your unique value proposition, like what's unique about the game, but also why is that game important for this publisher and showing that you've researched the publisher and you 
you know, know something about them. And, and I know this is easier said than done because, you know, how do you get to know publishers and, you know, how do you get to meet people? But, you know, I've seen over and over time and time again, new people join the industry and quickly get to know lots of publishers. Like people are very friendly in this industry. They're very forthcoming with sharing advice and open to being approached and, it doesn't mean you have to know the CEO of the company or you, know, you have to know every single person at the company, but even if you're just looking at what they're putting out and getting a feel for what the company is about, that's going to help you position your product for that company specifically. So I would tailor make it for me. It's like kind of like looking for a job. So, you know, when I interview people and like they haven't played Star Realms and it's a free app. And I've even told them in a previous interview, oh, it's free. You can download it. You can play it if you, you know, don't have a chance to buy the game. Like I'm not going to expect people to buy our game to interview, but you know, if we have a free product that they can try out and, and see what we offer as a company, I'm just really surprised if they don't do that and do as much research as they can again, because with someone looking for a job or someone looking to submit a game, that's, that's a really important step in your life. So you don't, you, it's in your best interest to make sure the publisher is a good fit for you as well. Um, so just, you know, getting, understanding what different publishers styles are, what their culture is, what kind of games are coming out with to help you narrow down, you know, where do you think you're a good fit? And then, you know, go from there and you may narrow it down to, okay, I'm going to target these five or 10 publishers. And, you know, maybe some of them, you never are able to contact them and they never write back to you. And, that, and that's okay. You know, you can expect some rejection. You can expect that people are really busy, but, you know, at least, you know, you've done your due diligence and you've done the work to figure out who you want to target. You've done your best to try to go after them. And, you know, a lot of it may be like destiny, you know, like me meeting Rob is a lot of it is timing, right? Like finding the right fit of a publisher when they have a spot in their um, production schedule. Cause right now people are getting really backed up and really busy as well. So finding that spot where they can slot your game in and it's going to make sense for their portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. All right. There was a ton of great advice in there. I want to touch on, no, no, it's excellent. Uh, I want to touch on a handful of things though. Uh, and, and you can kind of maybe go back and forth with, with some of your, your thoughts on top of these things. You know, I've got a friend who's been designing a game for, I think two years at this point. And uh, he also, his day job is marketing. And so he understands the marketing side of things as well. And so he has been building an email list over the mm-hmm. last, I don't know, a year or so uh, around his game. And he, he doesn't really want to self-publish. You know, he's really wanting to license the game to a publisher. But at the same time, his thought was, well, if I can build up an email list around this game and I can build up an audience and a community of people who know the game and all that, that's going to make me more marketable as a designer. And this game is going to be easier to sign with a publisher whenever it gets to that point where I feel like it's it's pitchable is, is what he was thinking. And so now he has several thousand people on an email list surrounding his game. And so anytime he sits down with a publisher he has leverage because he says, okay, here's the game, but also here are th- several thousand people who already know about the game. Uh, they already have seen you know, how the game works. They're already excited about it. They've been giving me ideas. I've built up this audience. And so that makes him much more marketable as a designer and uh, for his game. And so I feel like that's just something to be thinking about as a designer. It's like, how can you already start being known in the industry in some way? It doesn't have to be thousands of people on email list, but just in some way that people are aware of who you are because that makes you more marketable, your game more marketable, and it's got to be easier to get in with a publisher. 
uh, now you made a great point though. Make sure it's a good fit, you know, measure, <laughs> measure twice, cut once kind of thing. Don't just send out 50 generic, you know, emails and just say hello or to whom it may concern. I have a game for your company. You know, I really like your company. Like, no, like be specific and, and you know, cite specific examples. Uh, some advice I got early on was when you're contacting a publisher, tell them exactly why it fits with their catalog, you know? And so if you were talking to White Wizard Games, you would say, you know, Hero Realms is one of my favorite games. I love this aspect about it and be real specific and say, and the game I'm working on, it's also a dueling game or it's also a game that I feel like would fit really well into your lineup of games. I feel like it would you know, fit your company really well. Here's why. And that makes a company like actually pay more attention than if it just said, hey, I've got a cool game. Do you want to sign it? And so what are your thoughts on, on those things? I completely agree with you. And actually... Like in preparation for this, when I was thinking about, you know, as a game designer, how would you market yourself? And I, so I did in my brain, the value, unique value proposition exercise as a board game designer. And I, you know, the first one I came up with was I founded a board game design community that has grown to over 7,000 members. And I've recorded more than 200 podcasts with experts from the industry, you know, all focused on board game design. That's you, of course. But, um, so you've done I don't know if everyone knows this, but it, for anyone that didn't see my tabletop network presentation that Gabe mentioned previously, Gabe was actually one of my examples that I mentioned of someone who has done a fantastic, you know, the most fantastic job I, I, I probably could venture to say in personal branding and content marketing, you know, in the industry in terms of creating tons of content that's super useful to everyone and has, you know, also as part of that found a way to network with, you know, many of the movers and shakers in the industry and also helping tons of people in the industry. So, you know, I, I, I think doing, you know, what I call personal branding or what it's kind of a marketing term, um, doing personal branding and getting known as an influencer. So there's a couple things. One, you can get known as an influencer, like, hey, I know what I'm talking about in a particular topic. Another could be like what you're talking about in terms of email list building or community building. Like I, I made this one up. I have a personal board game Instagram account with 15K followers with a focus entirely on dexterity games because dexterity games are what I'm all about. This is something if you were designing dexterity games, you could have this as a goal. I'm going to create an Instagram account and I'm going to get over 10K followers. And then you work towards that goal and then you have something positive to talk about and you already come with a pre-built audience. You know, in this case, this is an audience for the type of game that you're designing, not for your game specifically, but I think these, you know, people who build email lists for their games or people who build, I've seen Facebook groups also being built very successfully by independent game designers. And I, as a publisher, I think that's very impressive. I think, again, it depends who you're talking to. So if you're talking to, you know, the person at the publisher who's just looking at games and they're not a marketer, then, you know, they might not, you know, see the value in an email marketing list. So it's always context is important in who you're talking with. But I think, you know, growing your email list, creating Facebook groups, also, just even being super active. So there's some people in the community that are super active in multiple Facebook groups, but they don't, you know, run their own group. They might not even have a mailing list, but everyone knows who they are and they're a really strong contributor in the community. So, you know, that's also super valuable. You know, people, 
many publishers, I mean, I know I am, are, you know, participate in different groups and we see who's active and who's super helpful and who's super knowledgeable. And it's like, oh yeah, that person's really cool. I'd like to get to know them. And, you know, and I, you know, and, and, so, and then at some point they mention they're designing a game. Oh, I didn't even know they were designing a game, but in my mind, I already am interested in, in meeting that person. I didn't even know they were a board game designer. And, and sometimes someone's really cool and they do cool stuff, but you know, their games aren't a good fit for us, but you know, I still also, if I meet them or talk to them, can say, hey, you know, this other publisher be a really good fit for you or, you know, give them advice. Like, I'm happy to give people advice on things like, you know, if you're looking at a contract or, you know, you have questions about marketing, like if it's something I can answer pretty quickly, I'm happy to help as are many, many other people. Not everyone is because we are super busy people. So if you send an email and you don't get a response, you can send another email like people are super busy and sometimes they don't get back to you. I hear a lot about people sending emails into the void and not getting responses. And I would recommend, you know, keep trying and keep communicating because in many cases we're understaffed, you know, publishers are understaffed. We're all working day and night and trying to get everything done that we can. And sometimes certain times of the year are super crazy busy and, and we aren't able to respond to every single email or every single Facebook message that we get. That doesn't mean we don't care. It doesn't mean like we don't want to help. Um, so, so yeah, I encourage people to reach out and ask for help and also ask for help in communities like yours, Gabe. I mean, yours is a great place to ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate the the kind words. I remember you also gave me some some advice in that talk. You, you were talking about the BGDL website and it was the old website at the time. And you <laughs> said, you know, Gabe would be doing much better even if, also if he did this and this. And I was like, oh, that's really good advice. So I actually uh, implemented those things in the new website. So I really appreciate yeah. your advice <laughs> there. But I, I want to reiterate some things you said as far as publishers aren't necessarily looking at a game as a game as much as they're looking at a game that they're potentially going to sign. Uh, they're looking at it as an investment. They're, they're thinking, okay, this is going to take $50,000 to turn this into reality, to get this onto store shelves with all the art and the manufacturing and the shipping and the graphic design, like all the things. They're thinking through all these things that they're going to have to invest in. And then they're thinking, am I going to get a good return on that investment? So it's not even about your game so much as it is, you know, is this a good investment? I think it's really important to realize that as a designer, and I'm reminded of some really good marriage advice I got many, many years ago. I had a, a friend, a mentor, a leader in my life, and he said, Gabe, what you have to understand is that before you go up and ask a girl out on a date, you need to have a J-O-B, because date is spelled J-O-B. If you don't have a job and you don't have something to offer to another <laughs> human being, then you should not be asking that per person out on a date or even considering a relationship. You need to have something worth having. And I think it's the same thing whenever you're trying to you know, partner with a publisher and license a game out or get a job or something like that. Like you have to show that you are worth the investment that, you know, what you have to offer is worth them putting a bunch of money and time and effort into because they're going to get a good return on it. And then everybody gets to share in the profits. And so I think it's just something uh, to be aware of. And so when it comes to pitching to a company, pitching to White Wizard, for example, what should I be thinking about? How do I really, you know, put myself in a position to uh, be successful with that pitch and for the, the publishing company to want to sign my game? Well, I think in terms of the, pro so there's the product, right? So what is your game and is it a compelling game? In terms of that, 
you, I, I would look at the same things that I would look at as a publisher in designing a game. So, you know, what are the hot markets? Where is there a need? Is there a, a theme that hasn't been covered or a new mechanic that's exciting? Is there a way I can combine, you know, a couple of things from different games to come up with something new and exciting? So I think in terms of coming up with that unique product, whether you're whether I was designing it in-house or someone else was designing it, you know, there's that whole aspect of like what makes a good game. I would say that one thing that we ask for, and I'll ask, cause I'm not the, I look at things from a marketing perspective and like, is this something I could fit in the portfolio? And is this something I could market just based off of the elevator pitch? So, you know, what sort of the, your 30 second description for your game, I think is really important. Cause basically when you're talking to a publisher, there's going to be different, players, you know, if you can find, again, this comes back to sort of relationship building and, you know, and making a deal with any company on any topic, if you can find one person that believes in you and wants to make this happen, you know, I'll call that person your champion, you know, one champion at the company that's like, oh, I'm really excited either about this game or about this person, and I want to push this forward, then you're in a good place. So, you know, if you're talking to the person that's the game designer, then, you know, the focus may be on the game and the gameplay. And if you're talking to the marketer, then, you know, how are you going to be pitching that game? What's sort of the short description? How does it fit within the portfolio? Um, but finding that person that's super excited about you and you can change your game too. So being flexible to change your game. So if your game isn't a good fit, but you're you know, we feel or a publisher feels like you're a really good designer and you have like some solid bones there, then maybe they retheme it. So, you know, oh, this game seems really good, but, you know, we don't like the theme. Would you consider theming it another way? Well, we have to have a certain relationship with someone to give them that advice, right? Like if it's someone we just are meeting and we've never met them before, we're not going to be like, hey, well, you totally change your game. So if you have that kind of relationship where, you're really getting to know the people at the publishers, they can, you can have that kind of conversation. Okay, well, this game wasn't a good fit. Like, what would be a good fit for you? And is there anything that you're looking for? And asking publishers, like, is there anything that you're looking for? Like, what's a specific thing? So for example, like people have asked me that. And I said, you know, I, as a marketer, like, you know, I would love to have some more, um, like where white wizard games or like wizard or magic style games, but that aren't card games necessarily. So something with a little more table presence, we have very large booths at conventions. We pay a lot of money for them. So, you know, a game that's maybe a dexterity game or a dice game, but that has cool components to draw people over to our booth. That's something as a marketer that, you know, I'm interested in, but it also would have to have the, gameplay appeal that our customers are looking for. You know, they want a game that's easy to learn how to play, but deep in strategy. You know, there's certain things that people expect from our games, a high production value at a very affordable price. So, you know, these are some other things that need to be a fit for our company, but but that's something that I'm specifically. So if you get to where, where I'm going with this is if you get to know people one-on-one -on -one as individuals, you can get deeper into conversations. Like, what are you really looking for? I'll, I'll come back to your marriage um, analogy, because we've been talking a lot about dating here on this show, on this episode. And like, you know, when you first meet someone, you're on your first date, like, you're not like, hey, do you want to have kids? Or like, what kind of house do you want to live in when you get married someday? You don't talk about that. You have to get to know people. So, you know, trying to build that relationship and getting to know people and the, and the designers that you see out there that are successful and that are publishing games over and over and over with multiple publishers are 
they are very good at relationship building. You know, my experience, you know, just talking to them and getting to know them. Um, they're very easy to talk with. They're very easy to work with. They want to chat with you and get to know about you and your family and different things. It's not just about the game. They're not like, hey, here's my game. Can you sign this? So, you know, taking time to, again, like just build that relationship so that you can get more feedback. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. You know, and, and asking or, or that uh, dating metaphor you just had is great. You, you know, when you first meet someone, you don't say, will you marry me? You say, hey, you want to yeah. go get coffee? Do you want to yeah. go see a movie? And then eventually, you know, six months later, you say, will you marry me? It's the same kind of thing. You build relationships, you get your foot in the door, and then good things happen. You know, as you treat people well, as you get to know them better, they want to work with you more. There are several people in the game design community that now that, that I'm a publisher, that I'm looking at signing other games, there are certain people that I would love to sign a game that they create because I love that person and I know how awesome they are in the community and I know how uh, much other people revere them or really appreciate them. And so to put a game out on Kickstarter from one of these people, it's going to do better than if I just went out and found a game you know, from some random person on the street uh, because they've already kind of built up that goodwill and it just goes along with them you know, marketing themselves as a designer and then you know, let's see what kind of games you have as well. Yeah. And having a spokesperson as a designer is really awesome. Like when you have people that worked on a game and are out there promoting the game and talking about the game and, you know, know lots of people, it really does give you an edge on marketing. So, you know, I, I like highly recommend people learn more about marketing and get involved more and it, you don't have to do everything. So maybe like I, I, can think of someone off the top of my head, they run a discord channel and they do sort of like, you know, live sessions with board game designers. So you don't have to like run a Facebook group. You could do discord or you could, you know, just get into online digital gaming and join those groups. Like you have to figure out what works for you. And, and if you're an antisocial person, I'm not, I'm not saying that to pick on anyone. I'm just saying like, Hey, not everyone's super social and not everyone, you know, has the skills to personally grow their audience. Then, you know, you might want to consider getting a partner. So, you know, getting a, I, I feel like people with design partners, it works really well in many cases. And, you know, whatever your strengths are, finding a design partner that has other strengths are, you know, so Rob, when I met him, you know, worked with Darwin and they were design partners and, you know, and I've, and, and so right now with COVID, we're not, we don't see Darwin, um, but my son, lives with us and he's also a competitive gamer. So, you know, Rob's been doing a lot of play testing and trying to break down, break games with him. And I said, you know, why is that so important? Like to have that other person He said, you can just design games so much faster and so much better with another person. So you can, and you can do that remotely. So we are doing, he, we are doing remote design, you know, with Peter Schultz on Sorcerer and, you know, with Darwin on the new hero set, but, you know, having that other person that you can like, bash ideas against and improve the game rather than trying to do everything yourself. Um, so that's the design side, but also on the marketing side, like if you're someone who maybe isn't as social and isn't as good at networking, you know, having a partner who does have those strengths could be super beneficial to you. So I do encourage people to consider, you know, also having design partners. And that's why also some people, you know, will work with an agent for example, you know, have someone else go and pitch their game, which, you know, I think is, is a good idea in many cases. Definitely. All right. Before we switch gears and talk about things from the publishing side and marketing a game and Kickstarter and all that, 
Uh, let's talk about the seven P's of marketing. So give me like the Cliff Notes version of what these seven P's are and how they specifically apply to the gaming industry. Sure. Um, well, the first is people. So people is who you are, who your team is, like what your brand is, what your culture is. And this is going to determine, you know, what kind of products are a good fit for you and also what kind of publishers would be a good fit for you to work with. So figuring out what you're all about. So what's your brand as a company or as an individual, if you're an individual um, product is another big one. So this, the, the four big ones are people, product, um, well, I guess it's five big ones, people, product, promotion, place, and price. So I'll talk about those ones. Um, those are the big ones. Um, so product is what's unique about my product. You know, what is my product? What's unique about it? Why do people want it? Um, so coming up with that. So you have to figure out like, what is there a need for? What kind of things do people like? What's hot? What's trendy right now? It doesn't have to be trendy, but you know, a lot of times that is a good way to find a new market. Um, you know, looking at what games are successful and learning from them. So, you know, when, when you think about product marketing, some of that's creating the product, but it's also market research and looking at what, you know, I'll say competitors loosely because I don't find this industry to be super competitive. Um, you know, when I was in high tech, I would never, ever in my wildest dreams dream of getting on a podcast and talk about how I do marketing. So we're much more collaborative in this industry, which is one of the things I really love about it. So that's pro also with product, I... I'll talk a little bit about packaging. So when I say packaging, I mean, what does the person buy? So, you know, not just like what kind of game is it, but is it a big game? Is it a small game? Like, so when you think about pitching to a publisher, is this something that they're going to kickstart? So if it's a game that's going to be kickstarted, I would think about that differently than if it's a game that you're going to try to get into mass market, for example, you know, or just go direct to retail. Um, so thinking about that and, you know, what is your strategy? Um, price. So price, a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about price. That's one of the big, you know, original four P's. I, I think in this industry, price is one of the least difficult things to do. I mean, I think in this industry, you look at comparable pricing of games that are, you know, similar size, similar value, you know, in the market, and that's going to drive a lot of your pricing. So I don't think people need to spend a lot of time on pricing, but related to pricing is cost. So you need to figure out what the price of that game would be and then figure out if you can bring the cost down. So while some people think price should be driven by cost, it's not true. The cost needs to work with the price. The price is set by the market. So what are people willing to pay for this type of game that's this size, that's this value, that's from this publisher that I'm, I'm pitching it to or from me as an independent you know, designer? You can look on Kickstarter and see how people are pricing, but decide what the price should be, and then you need to make sure you can fit your cost to that model. Um, so, you know, there's some ratios about like how much, what the ratio should be from for cost to price. But, um, but I think price should be set and price should be the first consideration and then make sure you can get your cost in the right place to be able to price it at that. Um, and then promotion. So promotion, I think is where everyone spends their time, you know, so when you look at what people talk about for marketing for board games, a lot of people spend a lot of time on promotion. So how do you do Facebook ads and how do you do email marketing and, and that kind of stuff. And I mean, personally, I think that kind of stuff is, there's so many resources out there. Like if you want to learn how to do Facebook ads or you want to learn how to do email marketing, like there's a lot of online classes that are really inexpensive. There's a lot of resources, people that'll do that for you. And, you know, you can pay them to do that as a service. So I think, your strategy around promotion is really important. Like 
what's my strategy going to be? How much am I going to spend on Facebook advertising? You know, what kind of returns do I need to get? Like the strategy is more important and much more difficult than the actual implementation. I think people really overthink the implementation and they think it's so hard to do these different things. And it's, it is complicated. Don't get me wrong. It is, but, but there's a lot of resources out there that can help you to do it. Or I, I personally think Facebook ads, you should, people, most people, most people should outsource those. Um, but I think figuring out fun, unique promotion. So there's a lot of the same old, same old. So trying to come up with new things. So for example, like we give out free codes for our Star Realms app, which has been a very, very effective, you know, marketing tool for me. Um, but it's something that other people don't generally do. Um, so that's something I use to like get people into our Discord channel at virtual conventions. You know, a lot of people are having trouble like engaging people at virtual conventions. So just trying to think about like, what could I do that would be new and different? And of course, you have to put yourself into the head of your target audience. So, you know, I thought about, okay, well, people are coming to Discord, they're on their computer, giving them something digital. This, this is a perfect opportunity to give them something digital, you know, rather than trying to sell them a physical game that they'll get, you know, someday down the road. So creative promotion, I think, is really, really important. Um, and this is where content marketing falls in. Um, when I said earlier that, you know, the four P's framework or the seven P's doesn't really have a place for content marketing, but it really falls under promotion. So creating content that people are interested in that isn't your game is a really great way to build your audience. And, you know, you've done that, Gabe, you know, creating all this content that's of interest to people that love board games, you know, in your community. And then you can also market to them, you know, your board game as part of that strategy. So it doesn't have to be that. So for example, like I just brainstormed some ideas. I said like, oh, like you could run like a 24-hour board game design jams for charity. I just totally made that up. But like, think about like things you could do that someone isn't already doing that would be super fun and exciting and something different, you know, something. I, I, I really, I, we, I used to be involved in software jams, which were weekend long things, um, which I thought was really cool. I don't know, maybe this already exists for board games, but coming up with ideas like that, new fun things that you can do to engage the community and, get people to know about you as a person and show off your skills. Like, so Gabe running this podcast, you show off your organizational skills, you know, your leadership skills, your confidence, your communication skills, like so many different things. You get to communicate that to the entire board game industry, you know, by creating this podcast and you're obviously helping us tremendously with all the content that we hear on the podcast. So, you know, doing these types of things is a great way to showcase that you are, you know, well, you were a board game designer, now you're a publisher as well. So, you know, I saw that you're looking at games and you're running this, the board game contest. I saw that you're running a, a board game contest with Game Crafter and I'm super excited to see what you come out with because I'm so impressed with all the things you've done here. So I think everyone should be trying to think about as an individual, how can I contribute back to the community in a way that it makes sense for what I'm trying to do, you know, with my board game designs? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that's super important for people to remember is that you don't have to do everything today. Yes. You know, just start small. Start, start with one tiny thing that you can do consistently every week. 
you know, whether it's going in and, and posting, like maybe you schedule this out, right? Especially this is helpful if you are an introvert and you hate social media. Like I hate mm-hmm. social media. I don't like being there, but I have certain things and certain times of my week that I schedule that I will go on and post certain things or I'll, you know, make a point to go in and comment on three different posts that other people ha- have made asking questions or asking for advice or insight or something like that. And so just schedule that out. And, you know, I know Ben Moy, who's an excellent uh, Facebook group member of several groups. He, he does these like uh, Saturday, Saturday morning uh, mechanics ideas or something like that. Like, give me your uh, best game design idea based on this random word. And today's word is weather, you know, and then next week's word might be jumping or something like that. And it just creates engagement. And, you know, that's just a scheduled thing that he does every week. And just start small, start with one tiny thing and then build out from there and don't let it overwhelm you. Don't look at a million things that somebody's doing or a publishing company's doing and think, oh, I've got to do all that. Well, no, they started with one thing some, somewhere along the line. They might have started 10 years ago, and it's just been 10 years of them adding you know, cool content or consistent things that they do. So I think that's helpful to remember. Yeah, and sometimes it's not even creating unique content. Like you could, I've seen people say, oh, I'm going to do a list every week of the Kickstarters that are launching every Tuesday or, you know, so doing tools that help people that just consolidate content that's already there is super helpful also. So I think your idea about a plan. So one of the seven P's is process. So uh, the other big one, which I'll I'll just mention, then I'll go into process because I think process is a really important one for this audience is place. So place is where you, how are you going to market your distribution channels? Um, So this is more important if you're self-publishing. So if you're working with a publisher, then you're going to be working through their distribution channels. And that is actually the primary reason why I would recommend that that designers strongly consider working with a publisher one because it's very difficult right now to get into retail distribution the the big distributors that distribute to the hobby game industry stores very difficult right now just with the way the market is Um, and two they already have a huge marketing list Um, so one of the things I haven't really talked about because it's really more once you're an established company is when, how to keep the momentum going and keep offering your existing customers more products um, as a business strategy and a you know customer satisfaction, customer retention strategy. So, you know, if you work with a publisher, they already have that established audience that they can reach out to, and those people be a lot more likely to buy again from them than if you were, you know, just sort of shouting out into the Ethernet internet about your game. Um, but process, I really like your suggestion, Gabe, of you know having a plan. Since it's the end of the year and we're heading into the new year, I'm working on my goals and my planning for 2021. And that is a big thing in terms of getting going. So if you're new to goal setting and achieving your goals, setting a very small achievable goal to start so that you have some momentum and can keep going from there is really, really important. And I also have a schedule where I certain days of the week will go in and comment and post on board game groups so because if I don't I'm so busy like I wouldn't necessarily get around to it so I do still reactively respond occasionally something will pop up in my Facebook timeline but I want to make sure that I'm in there and you know checking out different communities so I have specific ones that I go in and look at what's happening and comment if there's something that's of interest to me sometimes there isn't anything for me to comment on but but I just want to mention that that it's a pretty normal and great practice to have a plan that 
oh, on Monday, I'm going to, you know, focus on Instagram or, you know, on Wednesdays, I'm going to hit up the board game design lab and I'm going to see if there's anything cool I can comment on there or posting topics is great. You know, Jeremy Howard has posts topics regularly into some of the board game groups. He's not a game designer, but he's a fabulous member of the community. And I, he's a great example of someone that does that just on a regular basis on all different topics. It's really great. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. You've already been talking about a good number of things that <laughs> go in line with, you know, running a publishing company. And if I'm going to self-publish my games, if I'm going to go to Kickstarter, but just in general, like pretend for a moment that I am just now getting into self-publishing. I've decided, you know, I've got a game. I want to take it to Kickstarter. What would be your advice right now, especially considering kind of how the market is? Like, where do I start? What do I need to really be thinking about to be successful? If I'm going to launch a game on Kickstarter, if I'm going to start a company, what are your thoughts? Yeah, starting from scratch. So uh, I'll probably sound like a broken record because I'm sure everyone's heard this many times before, but having an audience. So people should know that you're launching your game before you launch your game. So I would personally do the same thing that I do when I launch as a publisher, but have a plan, which is I, I like to use Excel um, or not Excel. Now I use Google Sheets. I call it Excel because I'm, I'm from an older generation. Um, <laughs> but use I use Google Sheets and sometimes I use Trello, which is Kanban board tool. Um, to do my plans, but I would do a plan which has a few different things in it, but one would be content. You know, what content am I going to create and release to let people know about my game or product and get them excited about it? And then how am I going to get that out into, am I going to create my own group? Am I going to create my own website? Am I going to use pre-existing groups? But what's my strategy? And then like a very tactical plan of, okay, I have, you know, these eight art pieces, which I think are really awesome that are in my game. And over time, I'm going to release these into the community and talk about specific things about them. And one thing that's really important when you're posting into board game groups is it's not like, hey, here's this awesome art from my game. Aren't you excited about my Kickstarter? No, like you have to actually engage people and have something to talk about about my art, your art. So maybe it's about the style of art or about, you know, the character and the backstory of the character, but, you know, having something to say. So when you do a post into a group, you always want to ask a question. You know, you don't want to just be like, hey, here's this really cool art. And it's better if you don't just say, what do you guys think? Because, you know, there's a lot of posts like that. What do you guys think of this art? Well, you know, it's better to give some leading information about what you think and then ask them what they think. Or even better, you know, get into a deeper conversation about, you know, maybe, hey, I've been trying to decide between these two styles of art. If you have decisions that haven't been made, that's great things to share with the community so you can get feedback. But um, coming up with a content plan and a launch plan to build an audience over time. So ideally an email list, and a lot of people will talk to you about doing email lists. Um, I think I definitely would plan to do Facebook advertising when I was running a campaign. But I think the most important thing is planning ahead far enough that you can get the word out about your game. I would definitely recommend if you are going to be self-publishing a Kickstarter to work with a partner who has experience with a successful Kickstarter. Because I'm just trying to think, what would I do if I was starting out completely fresh? That sounds so scary in today's market with 
you know, a lot of people starting out that have really big audiences or who are partnering with a publisher that has a really big audience. So I would say, you know, one leg up that you could get is if you partner with someone who has done this before. So there are several, you know, marketing consultants out there that, um, and I think you might have them listed on your site, Gabe, um, out there. Like I know Andrew Lowen has spoken on your site before, you know, there's Kira um, Peevely who does this kind of work. You know, there's quite a few people that do the, the consulting work. Um, Quick, Quicksilver, Brenna, you know, Vaughn Reynolds has done a lot of work in this area. Um, but, but working with someone that has the know-how, you know, on how to get the word out that people listen to. So say nobody knows who you are. If you partner with someone that people do know who they are, then people will listen to that person. So it gives you some credibility. Um, and they already have a style of how they communicate. They already have a plan of how they communicate in these different groups, how they email people. So you can work with them and kind of learn from them. So I, I don't think you should go it alone. And if you, you should join Tabletop Kickstarter Advice, the group on Facebook, and you can see on any given week, you know, people who have launched and didn't have an audience and failed and, you know, people giving them the same advice of start way ahead, build your audience, get the word out. Um, but the best way to get the word out is to be very creative in your content and to be consistent. So, you know, like what Gabe was talking about, about setting a schedule of, you know, every Wednesday I'm going to post in this group and every Friday I'm going to post in this group and having different types of posts and doing that over an extended period of time to build up your brand and, and people's awareness of your brand. And I, I do think having an email list is good, um, but I think um, yeah, a lot of people are disappointed. So when you build an email list, I mean, building an email list all on your own is a pretty challenging thing in this day and age. Um, so you might, maybe if you're doing an awesome job, you might build up a list of, you know, a few thousand people and then only a fraction of those people will you know, open your email when you send it out on the day of your Kickstarter launch and a, and a fraction of those people will back your Kickstarter. So it is important. There's just like a lot of things you should do. That's one aspect. Posting groups is an aspect. So there's a lot of different pieces that come together. So I, I think you should build an email list, but that's not the only thing. I feel like a lot of people say, oh, build your email list. That's the most important thing. I think there's a lot of different things you can do. And the email list is, is one of those. Um, but I think if you work with a marketing partner, because like I was talking about earlier, there's a lot of different components to marketing and working with someone who's done it before, they're going to help you put a plan together, hit all of these different things and, you know, make it happen. But trying to do it all on your own is a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I've found over the last six months or so is that I only have so much time in a day that I can do things mm -hmm. and I've gotten a lot better basically because I had to and hiring other people to handle things. And so like, for instance, I hired someone to help me with the shipping of my, you know, of several uh, Kickstarter projects that are now in fulfillment. And thank goodness for, for her uh, because she's done a phenomenal job and she's, she's done a job that took her 20 hours that would have taken me 60 hours just because yeah. she already had the know-how. She already had the, the information. She'd done this before. And so that saved me a tremendous amount of time at the cost of some money. But you just have to make that trade and really decide, all right, where is my time best spent and who can I hire to handle these other things? Things I'm not good at, things I don't know how to do, things I don't enjoy. Like it's something that I think is so vital as a publisher to really realize and also be willing to pay for and be willing to make less 
profit because you're paying these other people to help you do other things because then you can multiply yourself. So in theory, you can make more money because you're basically sharing the load amongst more people and you're kind of multiplying the amount of time you can do other things. So I think that's super important as well. And it sounds like White Wizard was in that same place. It's like, all right, we're going to start out with just the two of us and then we can hire out these other people as we build the company and then we can really start to scale up. Is that kind of how it worked out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and well, I think one of the things we did originally, which I would recommend if you're in a position to do so, is I talked about having a design partner, but having people on your team if you don't have money, so most of us, you know, aren't independently wealthy and don't just have like tens of thousands of dollars to throw into these kind of things. I mean, I know some people rack up their credit card bills, but if you if you don't have money, one of the ways that you can start a company is giving people ownership. So start a business, get partners who have the skills that you don't have. So, you know, having a marketing partner would be really awesome if you can get one. Um, but some people like, so Rob, for example, is really good at marketing and he was really good at the operational side and he was a game designer. So he had a lot of the skills that the company needed. You know, even if I wasn't there, he had a lot of those skills. Um, so, but they were, were owners. So also Tan, one of the founders is the head of digital. So we were able to create an app. So where I'm going with this is nobody got paid for like the first, I don't know, at least year. Um, nobody got paid anything. You know, everyone was also doing other jobs or living off of zero money, you know, maybe off their credit cards, I don't know, or doing, you know, other projects. But because they were owners, they, you know, got ownership in the company and they were willing to do the work at no cost. So that's a little bit harder to find and to get. But if you think big, I always think big. So if you think big, if you don't want to partner with a publisher and you want to self-publish, I would try to get partners that know marketing you know, if you can get it, we had a graphic designer as one of the original owners of the company that helped with the graphic design of Star Realms, the logo, et cetera, right out of the gate. So getting people on your team that have the skills you don't have that are also owners so you can, you know, eventually share in the profits, but you have to all believe in each other and, um, you know, know that it's going to take time before there are profits. So, but if you have multiple people, then you can, many people will start a game company and still have their jobs on their regular jobs and they do the board game design and the, and the publishing on the side. So doing it with multiple people helps spread the workload. And it's, it's good to plan to have some money to pay people because there are certain things like maybe you don't know how to run Facebook ads, for example. So it is good to be able to have some funds to be able to pay people. So for example, like doing graphic design for product packaging is a very specific skill. So, you know, there might be some things that you really do need to pay people for ahead of time. So, I mean, we could do a whole episode just on budgeting to launch a game, um, but you definitely will need some amount of money, even if everyone's working for free. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Uh, one of the cool things about White Wizard is you guys have built up just an incredible community. And so talk to me about that. What, what's your advice right now for someone just starting out to build an audience, to build up a community around a game that's either going to go to Kickstarter or maybe it's already been successful? What, give me some best practices or give me some, like, some cool ideas or some cool thoughts you, you're having about building an audience. Yeah, I'll talk about, I guess, a couple. So I've seen some people start groups and sometimes I just think, oh man, another game, board game group. Like, so I guess the one thing I wouldn't recommend that you do is invite everyone you know to your group because, you know, it's not that cool to just invite people. You want to actually have people come and want to join your community. I think 
a couple things are good for creating community. One is enthusiasm and passion. So you need to, so there's people in, in our community that are so enthusiastic and so passionate. It's just amazing and awesome. And we have a group, the Starlands fan created Facebook group, which was started by fans and still continues, you know, to be run by fans. And it's, you know, really fun. My birthday was this week. And when it's your birthday, people send you challenges. So, you know, I got some Starlands challenges and, and that was really fun. Um, so there's enthusiasm and passion. So if you don't have any players yet, then that's you. You have to be super enthusiastic and passionate. So I saw this person. Um, I don't even know his name off the top of my head, but Core Quest is a game I've been seeing someone talk about in Facebook groups. And he's just so enthusiastic and passionate. He's designing a game with his daughter. And I joined the group because I was like, I want to see more about what this person's doing. He's so excited and so enthusiastic. And it's really, I joined his group really, well, two things. One, based on his passion, his enthusiasm. And two, because, you know, he was very clear at communicating what he's doing and the kind of game he's building. And I was like, oh, this sounds like something I would want to play with my daughter. So, you know, his marketing message is clear, you know, that he's building um, a game with his daughter and it just sounds super fun. And it's geared towards kids, which I really, really like because I have a six-year-old and sometimes it can be hard to find the right type of game for her age group. So, so I think enthusiasm to organization and consistency. So, uh, Anne Marie has started the pencil first games community. So pencil first didn't have a group as a publisher. I know they've been creating games for a while now, um, but they hired her, um, and she is well known in the industry to run their community. So again, having someone that people know run the community, I automatically join because I know her and I want to see what she's doing. And it was super fun too. She's very organized and very consistent. And, you know, on a daily basis, she's posting in there, posting like really cool topics, being like, oh, what do you, you know, what kind of things did you get for the holidays or whatever the topics are, but all kinds of just conversational topics. She, it's not all about her games. So I guess that's the other thing is don't make the content just about your games. I would say another example of a community that I would look at if I was looking at how do you build a community is Quackalope. Uh, so Jesse um, has built the Quackalope community and, and multiple people have recommended it to me because I'm a perfectionist. I'm always like, how do we get better? How do we do this better? So I'm always looking at like, how do we improve our community? So you know, Discord has become very popular. So I was like asking people who has the best Discord communities I must know because I need to learn like what are the cool things we could be doing or should be doing. And uh, multiple people told me to check out the Quackalope community. And I'm now also in his um, Facebook group community. And, and similarly, there's just a lot of friendliness and enthusiasm and like regular content, you know, so when you're in a group and there's content being posted every day and it's different and it's fun and like you just feel like when you read the post, like this person really cares about if I comment on this and when you comment, they comment back. So that sort of two-way conversation, it should be a conversation, not just like, hey, here's another piece of art from my game, but oh, here's a piece of art and what it means to me and why I think it's really cool you know, what do you guys think? Or do you have a favorite piece of art that's of this type of thing? Or, you know, that kind of thing. Someone asked on a board game group over the weekend, I think it was, hey, does anyone know any examples of board game covers that have collages of art? And I was like, oh, yeah, I have some really great board game boxes that are a collage of art. And I got, 
looking on my computer and posting up some of my art that's collages as a cover and lots of people got involved. And it was a really cool question because collages on covers are awesome. So sometimes it's just like, hey, what's your what what's the coolest dice tower you've seen? Whatever. But you know, just comes back to this board game nerd thing I was talking about at the beginning, like, you know, engaging that board game nerd in all of us and like really having a two-way conversation. Um so I think the community manager and the consistency are the the two big things. And the community manager, whoever it is, it's not an official title, but it's, you know, that person who's always there constantly posting and also bringing other people into the community, uh, you know, has to be enthusiastic and passionate. So who you pick to do that or whether you do that yourself is critical to if you can build a community. Not everyone can build communities. And I've been doing community building for a long time. I was in the open source software development community before I joined White Wizard Games and you know they've been doing online communities for a long time and you know that regular communication is a big piece of it yeah absolutely and I completely agree Uh, Debbie this has been excellent do you have any closing thoughts anything else that maybe we didn't dive into yet or any other best practices anything else that you would tell someone who's trying to you know market a game Yeah, I mean, I guess my closing thoughts would be that it's a lot of work and very, very challenging to run a publishing company. So for me, if I were a board game designer, like I've honestly said to Rob, like maybe you should just design games, you know, (laughs) like if I were a board game designer, I love doing board game design, like that choice between self-publishing and partnering with a publisher. If you, you know, can find the right publisher to work together with or multiple publishers to work with. I I personally think like if you love doing board game design, that is the way to go because as I was saying, like it it's a lot harder to build up a community from scratch. And it's a lot harder to build up an email list from scratch and to build up Facebook groups from scratch when you don't have that credibility. There's ways to do it, like hiring people that know people and, and things like that, but it's really challenging. So I personally, you know, and I would encourage people to strong, strongly consider partnering if they can find a partner and if it makes sense for them rather than going the self-publishing route. And you can also learn a lot and then, you know, choose to self-publish. But I'm fully supportive of anyone that wants to go and do it. And hey, more power to you. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying it is a ton of work. There's so many challenges. Like it's a lot of work so you have to want to learn how to do a lot of different things there's just so many different aspects to the publishing side of things and to marketing like we've only talked about marketing we haven't even got into the whole back end I was mentioning earlier to you that like I also do like HR like making sure we have benefits for our employees and you know there's all kinds of things like that that go into running a company and it isn't a lightweight decision to make yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the main things is just to realize what you're getting into uh, before you get into it. I, I think there's a lot of people who go on, you know, go on Kickstarter and have some success and then they go, oh, I didn't realize there was all these other things to think about. And so, yeah, having both eyes as wide open as possible is, is such a valuable thing. Yeah. And I would also say if you have a successful Kickstarter, that still doesn't mean you should self-publish. So, you know, if you do have a successful Kickstarter, then you're in an even better position to partner with a publisher. So like Kapow, we recently Kickstarted. Um, we signed that game. It had already launched on Kickstarter and we thought it was an awesome game. Um, but the designers really want to focus on game design. So we partnered together and, 
you know, we're going to be bringing that into retail distribution and it'll, you know, get carried in all the channels that our other games get carried in when it comes out into retail. And, you know, that's going to be a lot simpler for the game designers. So, you know, that I would, I would recommend people consider that as well. If you have had a successful Kickstarter, it doesn't mean you can't then go and partner with the publisher. Yeah, that's very true. Well, Debbie, this has been great. I know White Wizard has some really cool things happening in 2021. Can you give me like a quick overview of what all you got going on? Yeah, well, we're really excited. We have a Kickstarter coming up in a few months that will be a new Hero Realm set and all new characters for Hero Realms, which is really exciting. We actually did a poll in our community to ask people for suggestions on which characters they would like to see. So I know people are going to, we haven't announced yet what those new characters will be, but I'm very, very excited. I've been play testing those. So we have that coming up on Kickstarter. And later in the year, we're actually going to have an entirely new Star Realms game. It's going to introduce two brand new factions. It's a prequel to the existing Star Realms universe, and it's going to be really really awesome it's um a legacy style game in that you're not going to be ripping up anything but um you'll be changing the factions of the cards depending on how the games play as you play through the different missions in the story and it's like that one is just phenomenal i'm super super excited about it and we have other games too that you'll hear about <laughs> awesome well, Debbie, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with those awesome things happening in 2021 and everything else you got going on right now. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?